0: Welcome to Empathetic Machines. On this two-part podcast, we have a new partner, we have a new guest. The podcast itself is going to cover the supply chain. Now, you don't need to have a deep knowledge of what supply chain is. Just know that we'll talk to that. We're going to cover things like COVID and its impact on the way that materials and products get to us. We're going to talk about measuring sustainability. What are the key performance indicators for that? How does the supply chain even get metrics to measure sustainability? And ultimately we get to the ethics of supply chain and how leaders can lead a supply chain but before that we're really excited about this
1: Communitas america is beyond happy to be a part of the empathetic machines community and to have empathetic machine be part of our community one ecosystem two impact communities las vegas and the bronx five cohorts 90 entrepreneurs and 100 social impact
2: Communitas America
0: supports impact ecosystems in under-resourced communities. Our entrepreneurs create social change
1: in their communities. For more information, check us out at CommunitasAmerica.org or hit us up at hello at CommunitasAmerica.org.
0: We're joined today by Matt Butler who has a quarter century of experience. He is uh, with a firm now called Supply Chain Transformation Advisory, but his, his his history spans working with JDA Blue Yonder and a number of key strategy roles, industry strategy, product strategy, product, product management roles. Matt has also lived Supply Chain Transformation. Matt, say hi.
1: Hey, William. How are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Without you, there'd be no podcast. Ken Pace joins us as well. Those of you who've listened to our other podcasts know that Ken is a member of the Empathetic Machines community. Ken is a a customer experience, supply chain, and services expert. He's been doing this for near a quarter century as well. I think we're celebrating that this week, actually. Ken has lived supply chain transformation as a part of a Fortune 10 company. That's IBM. And IBM is a firm that transforms over and over again. So he's been through this a number of times. He has several scars. Ken, do you still have all of your limbs? In fact,
2: most of my limbs, well, all of my limbs, but uh, lots of scars, as you mentioned.
0: Yeah, and sutures. Ken, th- <laughs> thanks. for being with us. I just want to get started with a very sort of straightforward approach here. Supply chain is a, a hot, maybe an unbearably hot topic in the age of COVID. The time of COVID and the movement of goods and services and managing operations it's just a—it's a real challenging time. So. Uh, as we consider plant closures we consider stockouts on the inventory side for b2b and b2c are we learning anything or are we just trying to keep our head above water
1: well i think there's a lot of reaction right now right as as people navigate the near term demand of their customers and and try to indeed make sure that the stocks at the shelves are stocked what i think is people are looking forward to the new normal is everybody's starting to take a more holistic look at what has transpired over the past few months and many of them are noticing not only that some of the Minor inefficiencies that they have in their supply chain, some of their pain points, which were irritants before, became major fissures when it it came to COVID. As their supply chains were stressed and as they really ran into challenges in becoming ultra responsive to an ever changing environment, you know, changing by the minute. And I think that they recognize that, number one, they're on older, more antiquated systems that need to be modernized. But to some extent, that seems to be the least of their concern. Because again, as you think about the new economy that, that will emerge from this and the, the changes and shifts in consumer behaviors, which are becoming more entrenched, they're even taking a step back and saying, how can my supply chain help me drive more resiliency into my business strategy? How can I leverage it as a more strategic asset to become more responsive and and maybe even to find some new revenue opportunities? As, as I think about my bricks and mortar retail drying up, as I think about my e-com channels beginning to expand, as I think about all of these existing warehousing and local delivery trucks that might not be so useful in the future, how do I still leverage those assets and drive a profitable organization going forward? So, I I think it is a time of retrenching, and I think it will be followed very quickly by a retooling that will look to leverage these modernization themes of getting on up-to-date technology where you can make rapid updates. I think you'll see an embrace of this digital ecosystem for digital supply chains that's evolved as things become more visible. You're ingesting more IoT signals. You are more tightly collaborating with partners to get visibility into what's happening upstream and downstream the supply chain. And ultimately, you're looking for those opportunities that will allow you to become a little bit more responsive in the future to the business opportunities that are emerging right now and and are accelerating from just that e-commerce trend that really became paramount over the past five to 10 years.
0: That was really a low ball, right? I mean, that's right in line with your business. I'm glad you took advantage. You hit that one hard. (laughs) Let me ask you, just, just, just before we move on, I... I think I heard you right, and I would certainly agree. During this COVID situation, now is not the time to think about a major IT transformation, a major replatforming. It may be a time to think about it, but it's not a time to do it. Right? This is a time to to to, to deliver, make things happen, and design the future transformation to make sure you're learning. Is that right, or is there more nuance there that I
1: missed? Well, I, I think now is the time to get into the planning phase because you know what what we've seen over the past three or four months is now stabilized, and while there may be more shock. To come that divert and distract the resources that are focused on these transformations. It's really imperative to get your first foot forward and to start thinking about how you're going to transition. Some of these cracks in the supply chain were somewhat devastating, right? You, You think about many of the manufacturing plants whose supply network went down, and maybe they were too single threaded to specific component suppliers, the desire to nearshore some of that manufacturing, to diversify your supplier base so that you have more resiliency, so that you can keep your plants open, are things that people are very actively working on right now. Now, how to get more visibility into potential risks associated with those suppliers and how to get better visibility into the days on hand of supply with some of those so that you can pull inventories in is is something that I think is going to be part of that next wave of technology investment. So
0: it's going to drive a wave of investment that's coming up essentially,
1: right? I, I believe so. and And I think even beyond that, part of that modernization is When we do get back to kind of a fully staffed workforce uh, and IT can really start getting back to the front lines and delivering and implementing changes, this is the time for the thought leaders to start scoping those projects, understanding what your priorities are and really working to balance what those more pragmatic value-add opportunities are and how does it align to your five-year vision of how your company is gonna need to evolve to maintain a competitive outlook in the future.
0: Is vision really important? I mean, consultants talk about it, and I guess executives (laughs) talk about it on stakeholder calls and that sort of thing, but vision, is that what's needed?
1: Uh, I'd say vision is absolutely critical. What many of our executives aspire to do as leaders is to truly mobilize the workforce and the investments that they're making to steer their initiatives all in the direction of where their organization is headed. And if there's one thing I think that I see as more challenged than anything else, it, it is the consistent sense of purpose across an organization. As, as you go through the tactical maneuvers of implementing supply chain projects, and trying to line that up with uh, a supply chain strategy that should be representative of a business strategy. And and that message needs to come from the CEO down. It's part of the vision of what you're trying to do with your business. And I'll say, if, if you don't have supply chain's purpose as part of that business strategy, or if you haven't aligned your business strategy to what you're trying to achieve within your supply chain, I think that you're leaving value on the table. Right.
0: But Ken, Ken, does this get into sort of, um, Matt, thank you, I get it, but yeah. is part of what Matt's saying, I mean, to be a bit cynical, uh, not that it's a characteristic of mine in general, but to be a bit cynical about this, are we just going to hear about supply chain executives that feel like they have to transform and they got to find something to do because- it's post-COVID. It's the thing that they have to do. To What's your perspective on that? That uh, cynical line.
2: Well, yeah, I'm a little cynical too, because your first question was, "Have we learned our lessons?" And, and I'm quite frankly a little disappointed that we haven't. So, 17 years ago, we had SARS in, in Toronto, right? And we reacted, we we did exactly what we're doing this time, shut things down, limited uh, interactions, tried to assist businesses with with funding and, and individuals that were affected by it. But here we are 17 years later and we're getting the same thing, the COVID-19 and we're locking down, except to a much, much, much greater extent. And then when we were in this situation where we couldn't get the basics, PPE, couldn't get N95 masks, Canada, the US, shortages of masks, ventilators, you know we really have to think about this and when we say I say we I mean all supply chain professionals and executive have to think to your point Matt what's the vision and what's the strategy and what does the future have to look like and building some modeling to say what what's the next crisis go, is it going to be is it going to be climate change who knows is it going to be a terrorist attack God forbid we got we have to build a better uh, vision and model based on extreme Disruptors, and um, and I don't think we've done a good a job on it. And I, to answer your question, yeah, I am cynical about it too. But I hope that after this is contained, that we take a deep cleansing breath and we think, what is the supply chain design of the future going to be, and how are the how are the people going to be able to work faster and get data be- faster and make better decisions and come to a consensus? So,
0: look, I, I appreciate the discussion around vision strategy. What do you do? I mean, supply chain is busy. Operations takes time. 247, 365 and a quarter, 10 years, a decade, operations. I and mean, that's the, you know, it's, it's this steady state. Every process feels continuous now. I, I know that that sounds funny to you guys, but it goes all the time. Can you be too busy to transform? Can you be too busy to come up with a strategy? What do you think? A- a- and Maybe in this discussion, we'll talk about who who it is that I'm referring to when I say "can you"? Who's the you?
1: So, Ken, maybe you can start by by talking about the transformation for the sake of transformation, because yeah. I I do like that talking point.
2: Yeah thanks matt yeah i have a lot of experience as you mentioned on the in the intro on on supply chain transformation both within the company i work now and and with some of my clients and you know sometimes people get onto a decision like we have to outsource this it's not it's not key or or core to our business and these people are experts in it and sometimes it's done without a, a really careful consideration of what do we have now and what do we need in the future and and how do we get there? And the second issue that I see with supply chain transformation, William, is involving the right people because that's the problem I have experienced. You know, you wake up in the morning, go to work. You're putting out fi- fires left and right. You're getting unexpected calls for, on, from clients on escalations. You get unexpected volumes that you need to how to figure out how to fulfill. And then along comes in a non-disclosure agreement what you have to sign to significantly transform your organization. And you weren't involved in the process. You weren't involved in the decision making. You weren't involved in the project plan, but it's your responsibility to fulfill it. And the first question was always, who decided this and why? And if I was involved and I was part of the hey, what what are the what are the key decisions and what are our options, I would have felt more comfortable with it. And I think that's a, a problem in supply chain that we, we haven't involved the right people. We haven't thought about it very carefully before we embark on supply chain transformation. As we said in the discussion earlier, COVID has, has really accelerated the interest in supply chain transformation. We need to take a deep cleansing breath. To think, what does the future of the supply chain looks like and how do we get there in a very careful and thoughtful process? But I'm all for it, by the way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. I, I see so many folks, you know, we talk about transformation for the sake of transformation. We talk a lot about innovation for the sake of innovation. I, I remember a few years ago, maybe five years ago, when cloud computing hadn't really matured to the extent that it was a compelling value proposition for many customers who had their own data centers. But what you had was CIOs who wanted cloud computing on their resumes, right? Yeah. So <laughs> They were going down the path of driving towards cloud, driving towards SaaS, without even considering what the business value of that would be. So, so it, it's critically important to have a a long-term vision, very well aligned to business strategy of what your supply chain needs to be and how it needs to evolve relative to business enablement. And that needs to be pervasively understood across every project and program that's managed under the supply chain portfolio. Now, as that begins to bleed in, if you will, to each and every initiative uh, that comes to the fore, each and every project charter, each and every steering committee meeting. What you'll find is that there are numerous opportunities that exist to sweat the assets that you have to improve the day-to-day operations that aren't getting necessarily recognized or, or fully appreciated or invested in because they're not the nice new shiny object, right? That's both a a pragmatic and tactical challenge, as as well as maybe indicative of the fact that the executives, as they put together these roadmaps and and lay out the individual investments that will occur, aren't considering that broader ecosystem of individuals and getting their input to say, look, you know, you, you can really take three steps towards that Systems upgrade. If you just made these two or three minor changes, and you could buy yourself two more years of needing to get on the latest technology, and repurpose that money for something that's far more important right now.
2: I just agree. I mean, I'm glad we're recording this. I'm going to steal shamelessly from those words in the future, Matt, because you know you, you touched on a couple of topics that are that I I think are really important to note again, and that is yeah, there's all these little projects, but they have to be aligned with a strategy and vision as, we, as as you said earlier. So, you know, and then the second thing, investing in technology so you can have it in your resume or you don't, you think you're solving a problem that you don't fully understand. And and then there's the third thing that I would like to highlight is understanding the supply chain is part of the, of the sales strategy, right? You know, sales drive the company drives the earnings per share and the profitability and all of the other wonderful stuff that, that makes companies measure their performance to their outside investors or to their, their private owners. Sometimes as their models are changing, they're implementing or they're investing in the wrong things to solve a current problem, but not looking at the future. And, 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 and I'll, I'll get to the point is working with a client recently that wants to transform their supply chain but they're also moving to services. So why why would you why would you spend all your money on transforming your your current supply chain when your need for your supply chain as in its current state will diminish over time? Your actions need to be aligned to the strategy and all the projects and programs under those actions need to be cohesive and aiming towards the same goal. And so, and
1: so much of the value that you get out of the workforce is by harnessing the insights that they have on how to improve the day-to-day operation. If those folks aren't the being treated as the origin of the concepts and ideas and, and advances that you're trying to invest in, then you're most certainly leaving something on the table as well. It right? yeah, that- needs to be a, uh, a holistically communicated and socialized and participative uh, process of revitalizing your strategy on an ongoing basis and talking about what's working, what's not working, where the opportunities lie.
0: So so that's, that's, that's a strategy that changes, I don't know, weekly by the hour. How, how, do you, how do you do that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with, I mean, this is a trend that's going on across domains. The idea that the strategy has a shelf life is sort of archaic. It used to be important to stay the course for three years or for five years or whatever. But, but it's increasingly clear that you have a strategy, you know what you set out to do, you cascade it down on the organization. And then... You trust multiple levels of the organization to do things that are, that are right. But, but, but even so, in the case of supply chain, h- how long does the strategy that you cascade down last? And, and, and I mean, let's get real. How do you do this?
1: Yeah. And, and it's an interesting question because what I've typically seen throughout my career is that these strategies last as long as the leaders do in their positions, right?
0: Exactly. Uh, right.
1: Uh, right. A, a good leader will keep you on track driving towards his vision and strategy. A great leader will recognize, uh, number one, where there are disruptions that put his strategy at risk, his or her, and also recognize where there are disruptions that create new opportunities that he might want to pivot towards. And that is why, you know, I, I feel so strongly that. At a minimum, on an annualized basis, it needs to be a comprehensive retrenching across the organization of are we focused on the right things? Did we do what we set out to do over the past year? If so, why? If not, why? But what should we be thinking about doing differently? Where's the market moving? And where do we need to find ourselves three to five years from now? Are, Are we on track? Some of those disruptions that we mentioned very early on, whether you're talking about e commerce, the, the reduction in cost of cloud computing power offers tremendous opportunities to ingest more data, create more insights. AI and ML are changing the way that businesses can predict their operating environment and, and drive efficiencies in. But very few companies have been able to instantiate strategies that take advantage of these things. It's the leading CIOs and, and COOs that are really driving that direction because they're pushing down into the organization. This is where we need to be. And, and I need you guys coming to the table every morning with new ideas and, and new opportunities that are going to allow us to evolve and, and stay relevant in these industries.
0: So the answer is dynamic leadership. I, I think I heard you say it, it, an annual, you know, hard look at it, but leadership at the top uh, that um, allows the sort of agility to occur. Does that? It,
1: it needs to be very procedural. And an annual foundation, I think, yeah. is critical, but you also need to be a, nimble enough to recognize when disruptions are occurring. That can happen far too frequently when people recognize that their quarterly metrics are falling short of of the street's expectations. Uh, that can certainly emerge when COVID erupts. And people have to move into hyper-reactive. So annually is is good, but it's it's not sufficient to set the expectation that we don't need to keep an eye regularly on disruptions that afford us the opportunity to rethink and recalibrate those strategies.
0: So this is this gets us into it. I think the topic of data. What are we reacting to, or what, what is it that's what is the stimulus that causes change, and what is the stimulus that we ignore, or, or is that the wrong way to think about data?
2: yeah you you know the data is when i was in the supply chain the data is what i was struggled with most like what is the data how available it is how current is it how accurate is it and i always needed more data the problem with supply chain uh, transformation is it it relies on accurate data it's the data will tell you where you are now and where you need to get to and, and how you'll measure success the problem with it that we have right now is there's so much data that's available and some that we need that we can't get. And this needs to be meshed and combined for insights. So for example, as we move to digitization, we're putting sensors in all of our equipment on trucks. We're pulling in weather weather data and sales forecast data and any disruptive event, but people are too busy on their day-to-day jobs to to, to consider it or to analyze it. Unless they have a problem and then they have to go into root cause analysis. So I think, Matt, like or to go back to original point, do people have the time and do they have the data for successful transformation right now? Yeah, sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? And,
1: and I think transformation is is really all about empowerment, right? So it can come on a number of different levels. Data ecosystems have been very, very siloed in the past, right? You, you have your warehousing data, your inventory data, your transportation data, you have your, your forecast information. At, at the end of the day, I sense that what, what ultimately drives most behavior in supply chains is that forecast, which which brings with it incredible levels of inaccuracy, by the way. When we think about being able to derive better insights, right? I I think that holistically, as we attempt to converge to a digitalized supply chain data ecosystem, right? The real objective is to take those insights from being a strategic insight, something that you can recognize as, hey, I need to change my production schedule six months in advance and retool my factories, to Something more near term, my, my demand forecasts are changing because the weather pattern isn't projected to be what I expected. So maybe I want to deploy more types of inventory earlier. Hot dogs, right? Coming, coming with the spring. Ultimately, where you want to get to is that these aren't things that are being recognized three or four weeks out. These are things that are recognized in real time. Right. And that's when you get to almost an integrated planning and execution ecosystem. It requires participation of data upstream and downstream, both real-time and historical. So that you can recognize the patterns and derive the insights that will allow you to deliver insights back to the business that allow them to make better decisions.
2: Yeah, you know, and- better, better decisions is, is key, right? So typically transformation is about doing it much cheaper, doing it faster and much more efficiently and uh, making better, better decisions. The, the one thing that I always look for when I was go- involved in products is who are the people that analyze data right now? And are they spending their days on analysis paralysis or are they actually working for the customer? Right. And so what you're talking about, Matt is predictive analytics. And that's what I look for from a, from a digital supply chain is the system generates the data, analyzes it. And when I go to work in the morning, I have my cup of tea and it says, this is what you need to do today to react to something that's going to happen in three weeks. I don't want to have to go through reams of data and have five meetings and, and build five, and review five PowerPoint charts. And so I think you're you're on a really, really good point. The system has to be intelligent, responsive and predictive.
1: Absolutely, and and where this will take us over time as the, the decisions that need to be made, it can also quantify or rationalize which one should take priority, right? And the reason that that's so important is because it creates a self-learning algorithm in nature, whereby today I may be looking at, here's my five shipments that are going to be late. Tomorrow, it can be, here's the five actions I need to take because, or maybe the five actions that I can take because those shipments are going to be late. And ultimately, by enacting those decisions and learning which worked and which didn't, deliver the desired effect, then you can begin to calibrate automatically how to prioritize and begin to automate those decisions. Take the human element away from it and say, we're going to continue to measure and monitor the recommendations that are being made, but it's the, the outliers on those confidence intervals that will be escalated up so that the systems can manage themselves and people can take care of the true problems and start to look for the human insights that will help them to build the business strategy rather than to respond to the business problems.
2: You know what? I'm so glad that we're talking about predictive analytics and cognitive and systems that learn and take out the human pain, the human suffering involved in in running a supply chain on a daily basis. I'm 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 less cynical than I was at the beginning of this call because I think, you know, there's a, there must be more people I um, know there are, there are a lot more people like you and me Worrying about this right now, mainly because it's unsustainable, and secondly, COVID has ex- exposed the, the weaknesses in the, the minor cracks, as you as you pointed out.
1: Absolutely, and and you think about the oppressive impacts on disruption management during COVID. Any natural disaster, any any widespread virus or or condition, can have the same impact, and we can only hope that the next time around we have some of the intelligence for auto response already in place so that we we aren't in a mad scramble especially when people are quite frankly worried about their homes and their families and keeping keeping them safe <laughs> rather than keeping the
2: the trucks moving
1: on the road right you know what
2: i'm you know what i'm really hoping that we're what i'm hoping that we we learn out of this COVID is trust build trust into the supply chain so I'll give an example canada you know i'm talking about canada this is where i live but we had an n 95 shortage and 95 mass shortage, and we placed on a b- bunch of orders on some eight companies in countries in Asia Pacific, and uh, we got we got a lot quickly, but they they, they weren't up to specifications, so they be ended up in a landfill, and that's one of the, the lessons that we have to, to to learn from this as well. How do we build trust into our suppliers?
0: Great run, great. I mean, wow, smart people make smart discussions. Is this one size fits all? Are we having the same conversation as you just said around you know manufacturers of protective gear of COVID as we are for other more consumer goods, as we are for components that go into high-tech devices? I mean, it, is this one size fits all, this discussion, or are there nuances?
1: To bring it back, William, to the to the topic at hand, right, and supply chain transformation in general, I, I think not only is there nuances in, in how people need to and will respond, but there's nuances in the urgency as well. And I, I think as an industry leader, if you think about how, how important it is to embrace a more transformational culture in nature, one that is more focused on innovation, maybe more focused on digitalization, more focused on accelerating, bringing value to the business. You can kind of look at it in terms of how disrupted has that industry become with the rise of e-commerce. Today, I'd say that soft lines are well along the maturity curve. Apparel makers, they've already been impacted. Stores are closing, they'll continue to close. But if you haven't figured out how to get an e-fulfillment channel established, you're probably not going to be in business too much longer it's time to it's time to really start courting those those brand uh, acquisition m&a companies private equity whereas when you think about grocers and the rise in direct-to-consumer order fulfillment that's occurred and how to drive more of a micro logistics strategy for rapid fulfillment of your stores and to uh, release some of the pressure of in-store fulfillment, maybe with localized branch fulfillment centers, this is a highly disrupted industry. And I I think they need to very much accelerate the investment in technology, the investment in new physical supply chain concepts and and start to build a culture and an IT capability that can rapidly deliver these things. Because as they start to build the market share in this new normal, uh, it's going to become very sticky and and they're going to be on the front end of developing it uh, and learning their lessons and getting it delivered the right way. Other, other areas that you mentioned, right, I think very much the same for specialty businesses, specialty retail. When you get into consumer goods, whether they're durables or consumer products like household and food and beverage, I, I think it's almost uh, a measure of how competitive your industry is, not how disrupted it is because these things, you know, food continues to flow, but how competitive is it? And are the stores going to prioritize one vendor versus another when they know that they can have assured supplies and replenishments when and how they need them? How much of a premium can you charge for your brand? And how do you need to connect with your customers? I I think a lot of the emphasis in those industries won't be on bringing new supply chain capabilities it'll be more about how to develop more aggressive insights that will allow them to be more responsive with their supply chains to their customer needs so that they can maintain that vendor of choice mentality. But I'll tell you, many of those folks have antiquated systems. They haven't invested in these things as core competencies. Many of them have outsourced a lot of their supply chain capabilities, and they've almost lost their ability to do so. So I think there will be a different style of transformation, if you will, maybe a little bit more along the lines of a modernization, an in or a refresh, if you will, of those supply chain capabilities and, and the recognition that supply chain is an asset to their ecosystems that really can't be ignored.
0: Ken, what do you think? One size fits all. That's great, Matt. I mean, you, you, you took it around back to the right topic. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, absolutely not. One size fits all. I mean, I'm I'm glad I'm not in consumer products right now because uh, of the, the the challenges of filling it at at, at, at this time. But I, I look at it, you know, the industries that need to transform are the ones that have not modernized, and for whatever reason. So for electronics, of course, we we we're an innovative industry. But there's there's some that are that rely on you know traditional methods, like I think of of, of growing food. You grow potatoes. You ship them to a distribution center and package them. And then you send them to the, a store, right. And we've been doing it the same way, or some companies have been doing it the same way forever and ever, but I think the industries that have to, that have to really think about transformation are the ones that are run on low profit margins and that have high volumes right? That's number one. And then secondly, what's the impact of a problem? And let me give an example of an impact of a problem. If we have a a problem with the supplier in electronics, send out a a phone that doesn't work or a PC that fails after 30 days. If you're in in the food industry and you you have, you find that there's been salmonella or a a food quality problem, the impact is much, much greater. So that's a kind of a way of saying that, you know, I I don't mind a a quality issue with electronics is far less severe than one where people get poisoned. (laughs) Right. Or potentially poison. So it it depends on, you know, how are your competitors doing? How much money do you have to to spend on supply chain transformation and how fast you need to move based on on uh, your willingness or ability to survive?
1: Yeah. And and I'm really glad that you called out that it's those low margin businesses that most rapidly need to transform because number one, we'd all agree they're late in the game, but it is true. When you think about grocery, when you think about the distribution business where margins are, are airtight, these are the folks that have true risk in their operating environments as new concepts are going to begin to emerge, right? You can have manufacturers who are going to move into distribution. But more importantly, you'll have retailers moving in and trying to leverage their localized assets as distributors, as a way to offset the loss of the store traffic and to, to leverage the assets that they have to grow new revenue streams, maybe even as third party logistics providers in grocery, you've seen this direct to consumer channel now starting to move in amazon is talking about buying up mall space they're they're partnering tightly with the simon group and they will emerge as a local provider not only of groceries through whole foods and an extended network that will continue to grow but you're all you're also moving into those b and c movers the slower moving products that people would like to have within a day or two lead time or maybe even you know 2 hour in in high density urban and that's going to be a major threat to these grocers and distributors when when they can't maintain the item catalog that somebody like an Amazon can
2: you know that's a really good point that the customers expectations vary by industry right but they're all but customer expectations overall are rising i, I think you would agree with that
1: Absolutely.
2: Yeah. But then you made a very good point that I didn't want to lose in response to William a, a few minutes ago about some companies have outsourced their supply chain operations and their ability to react now is limited. Just give me a little more information on that. I want to know what you're thinking. See if it's aligns with me.
1: Well, I, I think number one, anytime you outsource, there, there needs to be a strong partnership, a lot of trust. But also a, a fairly robust control set, in my opinion, it it is trusting another partner to come with innovative opportunities specific to your business that are going to help you drive higher levels of responsiveness and better operational efficiencies. In in many cases, it's not just the operations that are being outsourced, but also the systems. And that means that, you know, the data that we would be leveraging to provide insights or trying to ingest, there's nobody looking at to even say, you know what, if I could see a connection between that order and its status and the inbound shipment, then I would would be able to make changes more readily. It's almost foregoing the option to drive higher service levels on behalf of your customers. And and it is that not just the access to the data, not just the control over the systems and processes, but the thing that concerns me about outsourcing the most is the allowing that skill set, that knowledge base, that expertise to leave your organization. And, and that's the scenario that many people uh, have found themselves
2: in. You just opened up one of my scars, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that was the issue I I, I experienced a a few years ago where we sent our best people to the outsource company and we didn't build an effective coal coal tower and we moved to new IT that drove me crazy. And I hope I never experience that again, but your point is really, really valid. You have to be very careful about how you, how, what systems you move or move to or move away from or. Or how you're going to work in the in the, the post outsource world, so that you can get access the information and people that is critical and key. And as I said, I have the scars to to back up that statement.
1: There, there's a lot of very interesting uh, conversations that come with the negotiations when when you are planning on outsourcing in terms of how much visibility should uh, be provided and what the cost structure of that relationship is going to be. You know. We have many people who say, hey, I'm throwing it over the fence. I just want to know that when you bring a box into my warehouse or when you ship it out, it's going to cost me X dollars. Yeah. And I should be able to bid that out and set expectations across the industry for you know, essentially achieving the lowest cost provider uh, available in the market. Yeah. But But what happens when something changes? What happens when you need special attention? What happens when you introduce a new product that maybe doesn't fit into the same format? It becomes almost contentious and you lose visibility of what was driving that cost structure in the first place
2: the one thing that you said that really made my my hair on my arms stand up for a second there is like people think it's so easy you bring a box into the building and you you, you consolidate with some other things and you ship it out. Any dummy could do that. And I've I've heard these comments as I've worked my way up from, from logistics up to working for B, VPs at, a, at another company. I just remember this comment when I was in there li- working late at night on a, a client presentation and they said, the grunts at the, distrib- at the warehouse will figure this out. The grunts at the warehouse will figure <laughs> this out. And I'm like, hey, those are my friends and we're not grunts. I have a science degree and a math minor and some of the people there are engineers, process engineering or mechanical engineers. So maybe if you involve them in the discussion, we would build a better presentation rather than be dismissive of them. And that's what, it still boils, gets me boiled up when I people dismiss how complicated the supply chain is. And sometimes these people are making the supply chain decisions to make it worse.
1: We, so- we always like to say it's the people who basically control the last element of ensuring that the customer receives their product the way that they would expect it, right? The folks that control the customer experience aren't really even considered in the context of the supply chain. That's right. That's your business. That's, that's, That's what we're all supposed to be focused on is ensuring the customer gets what they ask for how they ask
2: for it. You can't bill a customer until so you ship it, deliver it, or install it, right?
0: We'll continue this discussion in part two of the podcast. Audience members, machine heads, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. Drop us a comment wherever you found the podcast. That's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or our website, empatheticmachines.org. Uh, many thanks to John Groff for the incidental music, as well as Music for Makers for the theme music on our show today. See you next time.